But anyway, turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Kings chapter 17. And as I made my way up the steps, I said, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit's help. And uh, I hope you'll help us tonight. Amen. I want to preach a message that I hope will be fairly practical and helpful to you. Uh, you know, faith is an important element in our life. You can't even be saved without faith. I mean, you've got to believe to even be saved. But uh, it's, it's not difficult to please the Lord with faith, but it's impossible to believe, believe, believe the, uh, please the Lord without faith. Amen. You say, preacher, what is, what is trust? You know, I used to quote the verse in the hospital about trusting the Lord with all your heart. And I've been trying for 50-some years since I've been saved to learn to trust the Lord. And uh, I hope I'm getting a little better at it, but, uh, you know, none of us are perfect at that, are we? And so I want to preach tonight on how God grows our faith for a purpose, and here's the purpose. I believe sometimes God takes us through things to develop our faith and grow our faith because he has a greater work for us to do. And uh, I, I think about that sometimes, and he's done that in my life, and I, I hope he won't ever stop. Amen? I want to preach tonight about faith and how that as we have faith for one task, God will give us a greater task. And uh, what a joy it is to serve the Lord. Amen? And, of course, you can grow your faith. You know, you can, you can, faith can grow. And, uh, but anyway, let me read a few scriptures, have prayer, and then we'll get on with the, with the message. In chapter 17, we come to a time when Ahab was the king in Israel. And Jezebel was his wife. What a wife. And uh, so old, old Ahab was a king. He had already departed from God's ways. And Jezebel was a wicked woman who had distorted the worship of God with Baalism. And the country was in a mess, and so God called upon his preacher that we heard about this morning to get in the face of, Eli uh, of Ahab. So let's read about it. His name was Elijah. And let me, let me give you one verse of scripture from James that will help us as we think about him. Because when I think about him, I think about a man that's so overpowering, overtowering, uh, how in the world could you ever get, learn anything from a man that great? He's a superman. If he'd tear his shirt open, there'd be a big S on his chest or something, you know. But you know what I find in the book of James? It says that Elijah was a man of like passion as we are. Now that means that the great prophet of God had ups and he had downs. He had times that he walked the ridge of the mountaintop. There were times, brother, when he was in the valley. He could call fire down from heaven on one day, and the next day he can be sitting under a juniper tree asking God to let him die. Yeah. He was so depressed. Aren't you glad that God tells us the truth about people in the Bible so we can kind of identify with them a little bit? Well, let's begin reading. And we're going to learn how that Elijah was a man of God, no doubt had faith, but God had a task for him to do that he would have, I, I don't believe he was ready for that task. And God is going to develop his faith. And let's see how he does it. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. So he's gone to Ahab. Baalism is sweeping the land. God is going to judge. Excuse me, judge. And here's what he said to Ahab. He said, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, 
Get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself. Now you can divide his life up into two statements. Look at verse 3. Hide thyself. And if you go over to the next chapter, in verse number 1 it says, Go show thyself. You see, in the life and ministry of God's people, God ministers to us in private. He ministers through us in public. And we are not better, any better in the public than we are in our private. And we can fake a lot of things, but we can't, we can't fake God. Amen? And I can't either. So he goes and hides himself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. He had a particular place for him to go. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. Now, if you, if you know the Hebrew, he's talking about Texas toast and ribeye steak. That's, what it, that's the Hebrew. Uh, I got it from somebody else because I don't know Hebrew. And it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. Have you ever had a brook to dry up on you? We've all had it. And by the way, our faith grows more when the brook is dry than it does when it's flowing with plenty of water. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, bless us tonight. Help me. I'd like to be a blessing to these people. But there's no way I can do it, Lord, unless you help me do it. And so I yield the best I know how. And I remember reading so many times about Charles Spurgeon. He had about 15 or 20 steps to climb to his pulpit. And every step he would repeat, I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, we need that as listeners, and I need it as a preacher. So help us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here he goes to the, he goes to the palace, and, and, and Ahab had the authority to cut his head off. I mean, he could have killed him right on the spot, but he let him talk. And that prophet of God went before Ahab and pronounced judgment upon him and said, it's not going to rain until I give it my word. And it did not for seven years. Can you imagine what would happen in Forsyth County if we had a year without a drop of rain or uh, two years without a drop of rain? What about seven years without a... I mean, if it was all over our nation, seven, seven days or seven years with no water, we'd all be in bad shape, I'm telling you. And so he pronounces the judgment. Now, guess what? God's going to send this great drought, and guess who's going to be in that drought? God's people. Not only those who were worshiping Baal, but those like Elijah who knew and loved the Lord, he was going to be in that. And sometimes when God's judging a nation, we Christians are going to be a part of it. And God is not trying to destroy us. He's trying to help us, amen, and develop our faith. So there's some lessons that Elijah's going to learn to prepare him for a greater ministry, a greater ministry. And so the first place he's going to learn it, God's going to say, told him, said, I want you to go hide yourself by the brook Cherith. And he said, I want to assure you, Elijah, that I'm going to take care of you. It's not going to be easy during this drought. And you'll suffer some. And you'll have some problems. But I want you to know if you'll go where I tell you to go, I'll take care of you. How many of you believe if you're in the will of God, nothing can happen to you unless God lets it happen. Amen? In fact, that's true any, anywhere. So he goes down to the brook Cherith, and he gets there, and I believe there are two reasons why God sent him there. One was to protect him, to protect him because he was hated by Ahab. You, you wait till the, the drought starts. I mean, people are dying. I mean, 
crops are drying up, animal carcasses are laying in the field. I mean, it's just a bad time. I mean, little children's bellies are bloated, not because they've eaten too much. They don't have anything to eat. And as it gets worse, what would you do if you were king? I'd go find that rascal preacher. I'd go find him, and I'd threaten to cut his head off if he didn't do undo what he's done. And I didn't think he could do it, but he's done it. And so I would go after him. So he was going to hide him to protect him because Ahab hated him. But I believe he's hiding him for another purpose, and that is to prepare him because God loves him. And God's going to use him in a mightier way than he's been used before. And so we're going to find out that God is going to take care of him. How's he going to do it, preacher? Well, he's in a drought, so it's hard to find water, but God knows where there's a stream of water, amen? (laughs) And he said, you go down by that brook, I'm going to have some water for you. He said, I'm going to do something else. And by the way, that's kind of a natural thing. I mean, a brook is just as natural as it can be. Now, of course, when it's in a drought long enough, it becomes uh, it's not natural anymore because there's no water flowing. So he's saying the water's going to be flowing, and that's, I'm going to take care of you in a natural way. But if I need to, and I'm going to have to need to, I'm going to provide for you in a supernatural way. I'm going to take some birds called ravens that are meat-eating birds. Now, the birds are in the drought, too. The birds are hungry. The birds are thirsty. But every day, two times a day, those birds come flying in, and they drop the meat for old, old uh, Elijah, and he got him a cup. He had a cup, no doubt, and he'd scoop him out some water. So he was getting two good meals a day. That ain't bad during a drought. You know that? And, uh, boy, they were flying in there, and, man, that was a supernatural thing. And God will always take care of us. He usually does it in a natural way. We'll get a, he'll give us a job. We can work. We can pay our tithes. We can pay our tithes. That get, isn't that what you told me to say? Yeah, I thought you did. And uh, we can pay our tithes. I mean, we can buy our groceries and pay our rent, put gas in our car to come to church so we can tithe. And um, that was extra, preacher. I'll have to have a little more for that. But anyway... So anyway, so God's going to take care of us, whether he has to do it in a natural way or a supernatural way. Well, there come the birds again. Man, he would love to see them birds coming in, bringing that ribeye steak and, and Texas toast and all that good stuff. Amen. But you know what? If he'd sat down there for seven years, his faith would have never grown. So you know what God did? God said, I'm going, it's time now to move him. i got another lesson to show him. And he did not want Elijah to trust what? Birds and brooks. He was teaching Elijah to, to trust God. So he stopped the birds. The Bible said he stopped the birds from coming. And it came to pass after a while that the brook also dried up because there had been no rain. So he cut off the blessings and uh, because he didn't want Elijah trusting what he gave him. He wanted him to trust the giver of the water and the, and, the, and, the, and the meat and the bread. And uh, so he was, he was taking care of him, and he was teaching Elijah. Now, what would Elijah thought? By the way, what did we say a while ago? He was a man of like passion as we are. He thought, he thinks, he thought like we think. If something happened, and he was where God wanted to be, and something went wrong, it was going backwards, and the birds quit coming, and the water dried up, and all that, what would he have thought? Lord, what have I done? 
Lord, how did I sin against you to cause you to stop the bread and the meat and the water? How, how, did, how did Lord, he would have been just like us, he wanted to know. And I'm, I can just imagine God convincing him that, listen, just because circumstances change in your life, God said, I never change. You know, if we, if we go up and down at the changes in our life, we'll be like a yo-yo all the time. God said, if he's going to be like a yo-yo, I can't use him to do this great task that we're going to talk about in just a minute. And so he's going to move him now. Now, we have to learn to trust the Lord. I, we've all gone through terrible times. I remember as a young preacher, pastor, and uh, been, been about a long, long time ago, several centuries, I think. But anyway, I, I remember when I first started pastoring, I had two and a half more years ago in Bible college, and there was a group of people in a storefront building that called me to be their pastor. Now, let me tell you, I wanted to pastor so bad, if a bunch of hound dogs could have formed words enough through their barks, I would have gone and pastored them. But uh, I, just, I just knew God wanted me to be a pastor. So anyway, but I, I remember we finally started the building pro program. And we bought us some land, and we dug out a, a, a basement. And we had a little money, and so we spent that money, and it was time to uh, uh, go, get a, go get a loan. We were going to get a loan and finish the building. And I tell you, I was under the most stress I'd ever been in in my entire life. I was a full-time student, went to, went, into, went to college, five days a week from 8 o'clock in the morning to about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'd get, off, I'd get out of school and I'd rush home, get on some working clothes, meet some of our men at the building because we were building the building ourselves. Uh, word, of, word of wisdom, don't do that. Don't do that if you can help it. I know years ago we could do that. But anyway, so I'd go down there and I'd work to supper time. Well, I had, I had homework to do for college, so I had to spend most of the nights working on that. And I mean, I was just working at it. I mean, I was after it. I was, I was under pressure to start with, and Mark was having some difficulties, and, and uh, just a lot of problems going on like you wouldn't believe. And uh, I, I'll never forget one day as we were waiting to hear from that loan, a lawyer called me. He said, uh, are you Preacher Baker? And I said, yes, sir. He said, you the one building that building? I said, yes, sir. He, was, he, was, he worked for the bank. He said, well, preacher, I hate to tell you this, but you're building on somebody else's land. That's not your land. I said, sir, I thought I, th I, thought I got an ignoramus lawyer here. I said, sir, I can tell you for a fact we own the land. I've got the deed to the property we paid cash for in the safety deposit box at the bank. He said, I don't care if you've got a rabbit in that box. He said, that land does not belong to you. He said, the judge that ordered the sale, that some kids want to sell the land because their mom and dad is in the rest home and they need the money, I guess. But anyway, he said he did something wrong, and when they check the title, always check the title when you buy something. And uh, he said it, it, it's, it belongs to somebody, it belongs to the people that sold, just sold it before you bought it. And I, I thought, well, what's got to happen? He said, we've got to auction that property off. I said, sir, we have $70,000 invested in that property right now. I said, we've got half of the church up, but we've got it above ground. I said, if we have to have an auction, those kids can come over and bid pretty much what they want to, and we'll have to pay it. He said, well, I'm sorry, but don't, I, I would recommend you not, get on, not even walk on the property. It's not yours. I thought, well... I love pastoring, but this will be my last week. 
And I called my deacons, called the building committee, and I said, this was on a Thursday. I said, meet me Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. Whatever you got going on, cancel it and meet me. What is it, preacher? I said, I, I just need to talk to you. Well, I knew they were going to fire me on the spot. I mean, here I am a young... And by the way, that thing about searching the deed, I said, we'll save $350 if we don't do it. The men said, no, we need to search the deed just in case there's a lien against the property, then the property has to stand for it and you lose your property. I said, but we can save $350 if we don't do it. I talked them into not doing it. So I'm the blame for the whole thing. So... I go to school the next morning, and we're having a revival meeting on campus. And I'll never forget, and I'll make this short, I'll never forget that day. I sat there, and I thought I was going to explode. I mean, if, if, I, if I'd had a blood pressure cuff, it would have blew, blown it off my arm, I'm sure. I mean, I was, I was under such pressure. I mean, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do. And I'm sitting there, and he's preaching on Elijah and Elisha and how Elisha needed a double portion. And while they're preaching, I began to weep. I'm, I'm not talking about the invitation time. I'm talking about during the preaching. And I'm weeping so loud, people are not listening to the preacher. They're looking at me saying, what's wrong with him? You know? And so what I ended up doing, I ended up leaving the auditorium, and I went downstairs. And the first room I got to, I went in. It was a dark room, and I just shut the door behind me and fell on my face. And I said, Lord, if there's ever a young preacher that needs a double portion, I need it. I need it bad. I didn't know that God was preparing me for something greater. But, and, and it was my fault that I didn't trust him like I should and rely upon him like I should. But anyway, so I went in that room, and I'm not going to go into detail because I don't know how to explain it. What happened to me? I think it was the first time I ever really knew what it was to be filled with the Spirit of God. I promise God, God, you know how God impresses your heart when he wants to really communicate with you through the Word and through dealing with your heart? He seemed to be saying to me, Roger, you've made a pretty good construction supervisor, but that is not why I called you to king. I've called you to king not to build a building. Let the other men do that. I've called you to study and have something for my people on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. And I've also called you to reach King with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God broke my heart that night and I left, that day, and I left and went home. And my wife didn't know it, but she got a new husband. My church didn't know it, but they got a new preacher. He still had the same name, but they got, got a new preacher. And I'll never forget when I met with the building committee and the deacons, I thought they'll fire me right on the spot, and I don't blame them. So I poured my heart out to them of what had happened. And I said, it's my fault that we may lose all of our property. And uh, God worked, and we had a little revival meeting in the deacons meeting and the building committee meeting. And God was at work, and I'm telling you, God broke all of our hearts. And we, in that meeting, set some priorities that it wasn't going to be all about a building. It was going to be about reaching king with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget what God did in that meeting. And by the way, because the judge made the mistake, he didn't do something right, uh, he let us have an auction in his chambers. And there was nobody there to bid on it but us. And we got our, we got our building. We got our building. And we praise the Lord for God being gracious. But what was God doing? 
God was, was, was preparing us for a greater work. I, I would have never envisioned what God was going to do in that town. But anyway, so brook dried up. Circumstances changed, but God had not changed. Now he's going to take him somewhere else to prepare him. Look at verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee. So God tested his faith by a dry brook. He said, Arise, and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. There's where I want you now. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there at that place to sustain thee. You want to take care of you. Now, what God just, just is doing now, he's getting ready to move Elijah to the most unlikely place you would ever want to move him to, to be taken care of, the most, be taken care of by the most uh, unlikely person that could take care of him. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, guess where Jezebel and Baalism came from? Zarephath. That was the headquarters of that wicked, vile, ungodly uh, idolatry. And they say that Jezebel's daddy was one of the high priests of that religion. And God said, I'm going to send you right up there smack dab in the middle of the whole thing. Because <laughs> he's preparing him for a greater ministry. And I'll tell you what the greater ministry is in just a moment. So he goes up there, and he's probably, he's a man of like passion as we are, thinks things like we would have thought if we had been him. And so what would you have thought going up there? I'm going up to Gentile country. Now the Jews took care of their widows pretty good. But the Gentile, a Gentile widow woman was the most pitiful thing in all the countryside. There was nobody to take care of them. In most places, they wouldn't let them work, and they just had to beg everywhere they went. But he's thinking because he thought like we would think. Well, the Lord took care of me here with the birds and the brooks. I'm going up there, and a widow woman's going to take care of me. I bet you her husband was loaded when he died. I bet he had more money than he knew what to do with, and he's probably got a bunkhouse. She's got a bunkhouse out there with all the servants, and that's where I'll stay. And I'll probably eat better than the, what the birds brought me. I, I bet he thought that. So he took off. He obeyed God. Verse 10 so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, not a widow woman, but the widow woman was there. It was the widow woman going to take care of him. Now somebody said, well, what kind of widow woman was she? I believe I can paint a picture real quick of her, and when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out that I was pretty close. I believe her eyes were sunk back in her head a little bit. I believe her little, little, little arms were, weren't big as hardly anything. I believe she was just about skin and bones, and she was dying because she tells us in a few minutes how bad a shape she's in. And he sees her, and the Lord said, that's him. That's her right there. Where at, Lord? No, right, right over there. That's the widow woman's going to take care of you. Lord, she can't, don't look like she can take care of herself. And by the way, he had been eating good, but they hadn't had anything to eat for, for these seven years. That people were dying, dying, animals dying, crops. You couldn't grow crops because there was no water to feed the crops. And so he takes off and goes there 100 miles, 100 miles away, right up into the heart of, of Baalism. And uh, he's there, and he sees this widow woman. Are you sure, Lord? You know, we don't have to figure it all out if we just be there. 
If we just go to the place God wants us and do the thing God wants us, let God handle the details. I found out he's a lot better at details than I am. So, verse 10. So he arose and went to Zarephath. There was a widow woman. What was she doing? She was gathering sticks. We'll find out in a minute it was two, two twigs, two little twigs, because you don't need much fire to cook what she's got left to cook. And, uh, and he called to her and said, and by the way, he had on the mantle of a, of a prophet, I'm sure. And I'm convinced she was a, she was a converted Gentile woman, but maybe not. He, she said, uh, he said, fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. Now, during a, during a drought, been seven years, you reckon maybe that water would have been at a pretty good premium if you had to buy it? But she had a little bit. She had a little water. In fact, out of respect, I guess, for the prophet, verse 11, and as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, and said uh, Ma'am, ma'am, before, before you go, one, one more thing. I pray thee, again, this is in the Hebrew, I want, a, I want a North Carolina, Eastern North Carolina cathead biscuit. If you would, fix it and bring it to me in your hand. In other words, a morsel of bread. And you know what she did? She didn't have that. So you know what she said? She said, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. In other words, enough to meet his description. The only thing I've got is a handful of meal and a barrel and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, who was a little boy, she was a widow woman, that we may eat it and die. So the only thing she's got between her and death is a little handful of meal down in the bottom of a barrel. That's it. That's all she's got. And uh, I bet Elijah thought to myself, Lord, you sure about this? She, she don't have anything. So you look down in verse number 13, and Elijah said unto her, Fear not. Go and do as thou hast said. You, you're getting some sticks to cook what little bread you got left? Go ahead and do it. And then he said it, but, uh, but, 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 uh, make me a little cake first. I'll never forget, preacher, when I read that as a young Christian, I lost all respect for Elijah. I, I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't read the rest of it. I, I, I lost all respect. I said, I thought he was a man of the cloth. I thought he was a godly man. I thought these prophets were, were men that would walk with God and have the power of God on And here he is going to take the last mouthful out of this little dying widow woman's mouth and her little son who's crying and begging for something to eat, and now he's going to take the last bite. I lost all, all respect for him. All respect. I bet that little boy did too, by the way. Verse 14, thus saith, why, why would he tell a woman this? Next verse, verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. God told him to tell her that. I don't think he would have ever told her that if God hadn't have told him to tell her that. The barrel of meal shall not waste. In other words, there will always be some in there. Neither shall the crews of oil fail under the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And you know what? By the way, Mama... If you had a little boy, you and him both were starving to death, and you knew that you were getting ready to take two little sticks, build a little tiny fire, and cook that little bit of uh, flour down in the bottom of that barrel, y'all were going to eat it and then go over there and sit down until you died. Would you give it to the preacher? What would you, what would you have done if you'd been the neighbor of that lady and you overheard that conversation? 
You know what I believe I would have done? I said, wait, wait, wait a minute, ma'am. Whoa, whoa, don't give him anything. By the way, he wasn't starving to death. He probably had a little, put, little punchy, little poop but, uh, belly where he'd been eating two meals a day. Little pot belly, that's what I'm looking at. Little pot belly. He, he'd been eating good. I believe I would have walked over there and got between her and him and I said, you sorry, low down, good for nothing, call yourself a preacher. Wear that mantle around you like you're somebody. You're not anybody if you're going to take the last thing this little woman's got. And this man was probably starving to death himself too. You're no good. You're like them TV preachers. That's what you are. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't get off on that. Just be sure to make, they're they going to make sure your seed goes in their garden. It's not coming to your garden. I can tell you that one. But anyway. Imagine. And you know what she did? My Bible tells me that verse 15, she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She, she obeyed what the preacher said. She obeyed the, she obeyed the prophet. Can you, can you visualize it? I visualize a lot of things in my, when I read the Bible, I like to think, what would that look like? I'm sure I'm, I'm wrong a lot of times. So I'm thinking, here's this widow woman. She goes home and he follows her. Her little boy's pulling at her coattail saying, Mama, I'm so hungry, Mama. Well, I'm sorry, son, but I, God wants me to give. That's why I think she was maybe a believer because she called God Jehovah. Capital letters, L-O-R-D. So I think she might have been a believer. So he was asking her to give him the only thing that stood between her, her boy, and death. And she did it. She did it. Son, I'm sorry, but you can't have anything. You can't have any of that. Why, Mama? Why? We'll give it to the preacher. Now, he lost respect for the preacher, too, right then. Guarantee you that. So they, she takes these two twigs, builds a little fire, a little tiny fire, goes over there to the barrel, puts her little bony hand down in there and pushes it around to get it up. And she comes up with a little handful. She's got a bread pan. She puts that in there and she takes a little cruise of oil and shakes out the last drops of cooking oil on that. And she works it up good and puts it on that fire and that little boy can smell it. Now, you know he was crying and begging her for it. Now, what would that do to a mama? that knows he's getting ready, she's getting ready to take that and give it to the preacher. So it's cooked now, it's finished. And she goes over to the table. I can just see that little plank table, two little ladder back chairs, one for her and one for a little boy. But today, the preacher was sitting in it by himself. And he had a cup of water, and she lays that thing before him, and he eats that right in front of her and that boy. Now, I don't believe he would have done that had God not told him to. I believe he would have said, ma'am, I'm going to go try to find you something to eat. I'll be back as soon as I can. But he didn't do that. He obeyed God. And that's what he, he told us to give it to me first. And that boy and mama had to watch him eat that cake of flour, that biscuit. He got through doing it, and he said, that was good. Ma'am, why don't you go over there and get you some of that meal and go ahead and fix you and the boy some. Uh, preacher, I just got it all out. I just emptied the barrel and gave it to you. Oh, no, he said. God said it would never waste. There would always be some meal in that barrel. She said, in that barrel, I just emptied it, preacher. 
Can't you just visualize that? They were real people just like we are. And finally, he says, no, go ahead and fix your son. Now, he's over there praying hard as he can. If he was a man of like passions, we are, oh, God, please don't let her down. Please put some meal in that barrel. Please put something in there. Lord, I'll, look, I'll be the worst heathen that's ever walked, taking the last bite from a little boy's mouth and her mama. Please, God, let her. And I can see her. Listen, I don't believe when he said, go get it and fix you something. I don't believe she went, oh, okay, no problem, and bebopped over there. I believe she was nervous as a cat. She's dying. Her boy's dying. Preachers just eat the last things they got, but he says there's some in the barrel. I, in that barrel right there, preacher? Yes, ma'am. God said there'd be some in there. That barrel that I just emptied out? Yes, ma'am. That barrel? Ma'am, that's what God said. Of course, he didn't say it out loud, but I bet he said, I hope it's right. And she kind of snuck up on him. In that barrel, preacher? Yes, ma'am, same barrel. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory, preacher. Preacher, preacher, come here. And I don't believe God filled it up because he's into daily bread. Preacher, there's some meal in there. Now, he didn't do it outwardly, but I bet he did it inwardly. Thank God. Thank God. What's all this going on for, preacher? God is trying to build that man's faith because God's got something to, he wants to get that man to do that's going to take some real faith. So he's, he's teaching him faith by a dry brook and a depleted barrel of meal. And so that little widow woman said, Son, take the tongs. Hand me the, hand me the little pan there. Stir the fire. She reached in there and there was enough for her and her boy. And I believe when that little hand came up, it was running over the edges because God always does abundantly more than what we think. Put it in that pan, and she said, Son, hand me the cruise of oil, the little vase of oil. Mama, you used it all a while ago. She said, I used the flour, but there's some in there. <laughs> hand me the cruise, son. I bet her hand was shaking. Won't be some? Okay. Up too much. <laughs> oh, preacher. Oh, preacher. There was some, there's some flour. There's some oil. He's thrilled today. That's right. That's our God. That's exactly right, dear brother. Man, that was good. I can see them go to the preachers in the other end of the house, the widow woman or little boys at the end of the house. And the next morning, that little boy, he, it was like it was Christmas morning. You know how our children get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, some ungodly hour like that when we want to sleep on Christmas morning? But I bet that little boy came down them steps or ladder or whatever they had, and he ran over there and looked in that barrel. And there was enough in that barrel now for Elijah and, his, and the widow and her son to eat very well that day. Mama! Mama! Mama, there's some more, there's some more, there's some more meal in the barrel, Mama. Please come, Mama. Man, she, I can see her coming down those steps with her bedroom shoes on, and she's a butt in her, 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 her little jacket she had on, and her clothes, her pajamas, and she's running over there, and she starts praising God and weeping and crying, and said, "Oh, my son, God has blessed us. He's going to take care of us." 
and the preacher heard it. And then she said, she built a little fire. She got all that up and put it in the pan. Hey, preacher, breakfast will be ready in about 15 minutes. Come on down. She went out there and fixed it. And you know how long God put, barrel, put meal in that barrel? To the day that it rained. Every day. What would have happened had she not obeyed God? By the way, when God starts teaching you faith, he'll use you to teach somebody else faith. What would have happened to her? What do you believe would have happened to her if she had said, I ain't going to do that. I'm giving that to me and my boy. I believe she would have eaten it and went over there and sat down and died. But she, she believed God, and she did what the preacher said God wanted her to do. And God put meal in that barrel ever since then. So God was teaching him faith by a dry brook, by a depleted barrel, and I know the time, so I've got to quit. And he also taught him beside the bedside of a dead boy. And if you look at the last verse of that chapter, last couple of verses, go down to uh, look at uh, verse 19. And he said unto her, give me, oh, I'm sorry, verse 18, verse number 18, 17, 15, 23, 24. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. His sickness was so sore, so bad, there was no breath in him. He died. And if I take the sake of time, I'm gonna, I won't read the rest of them. Those Old Testament prophets, prophets did some weird things. I'll just tell you, they did some weird things. But anyway, he went and got that little boy who was sitting in her bosom, which I'm assuming that was her lap, which means he was a little boy, not an 18-year-old boy. Took that boy and carried him back to his chamber and carried him upstairs and laid him on his bed. And the Bible said he did a spread eagle on top of that boy. He laid on top of him. I told you they did some strange things. He laid on top of that boy, and he began to pray that God would give him his life back. Can't you, under, can't you hear him pray? Dear God, I don't understand it. I mean, you, you, her husband's dead. She's dying from starvation. You've now saved them so they can eat, and now you killed her boy? I mean, Lord, what's going on? And so he began to pray. And after several times of praying, <laughs> and the boy started breathing. And I see Elijah hold his hand up and say, I should have trusted you, Lord. I, I'm sorry I got unbelief in my heart. Took that boy, carried it down, gave him to his mama. And you know what that mama said? She said, now, I really know that you are a man of God. <laughs> And then you know what the next thing is that happens? Chapter 18. God said, Elijah, I'm paraphrasing. I believe you've learned something about trusting me. Now I want you to go show yourself and get Ahab and as many of the people of Israel to gather around Mount Bethel. We're going to have a showdown with those wicked prophets. He was going to go up there right by himself at the end of that drought, and everybody had an APB out on him, going to get him and kill him, put him to death if he didn't send them rain. And that man was going to march up that mountain and call the fire of God down. And you say, was it a greater ministry? Yes, it was, because when he got through, the whole, the nation as a whole repented, and there was a turning to God for the whole nation. So he was learning faith in God so that he could do what? A greater work than he was doing. He was doing a great work. But you know, sometimes God let us go through some hardships to teach us faith. 
because he's got something for us to do other than what we're doing right now. So look at it that way. Trials are not against us. They're for us. God's in control. And one of the great tragedies of our day is we don't trust the Lord. When Israel didn't trust the Lord, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Unbelief. May God help us to believe him. Amen.